um, over the last month, we've been talking about our vision, really, or, or unpacking what does it look like if we're going to be a safe place for all people to be restored and revealed for his glory. And so we've looked at we need to be a people of grace. Uh, we've looked at that we need to be a community in unity, or better still, a family. Uh, we've talked about that if we're actually going to share the gospel, let's not be a Christian because I'm telling you it happens everywhere, particularly online in social media, that argues theology. Let's not argue theology online. Let's not do that. But instead, let's invite people into a place and space that we enjoy as the family of God. Because what people need more than ever before is connection and family. Then I, I hope you enjoyed Pastor Don last week. Um, he, he's a exceptionally old friend here in Ballarat, um, was one of the first pastors that I met. Uh, I know Harley Arise was one of the first pastors he met. We came at the same time. And he welcomed us into Ballarat. And he'd, already, he'd been pastoring and ha- had, has been pastoring in Ballarat for over 20 years. At that time, I think it was 17 years at, at his church or some long, long period of time. But it was really lovely to be able to have him speak. So I was watching from home. I just thought it was a really sweet word. You know, in fact, we caught up with friends of ours that have spoken here at church before Mark and Kaz yesterday, and they've had a bit of a rocky start of the year, just stuff that comes against often ministers and churches. And we just said, if you need some space to breathe, let us give you a number <laughs> for Don, and I'm sure he'll be able to help you out. Like he was, I just really appreciated his words. I hope you did too. Um, I, I want to jump on the back of in a way of what he said, because he was talking about bringing this gift of love, and by this all men will know that you're my disciples, is by loving each other. And so if we go a little bit deeper, that's all well, and that's all good, and that's all true and perfectly accurate. Then we're also asked to love our enemies, not just each other. So what does that look like for you and I in a place and in a church that's supposed to be a safe place for all people to be restored and renewed? What's it look like for us to love our enemies and to love them well because I want to suggest that it's impossible to be successful in life unless we're wise with dealing with a whole bunch of different kinds of people, yeah? There needs to be wisdom. And so that's where I want to try to go today. Um, We'll see what God does in Jesus' name. So Father, Lord, we give you this place and space, this time, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in us and through us We ask you, God, to continue to refine us, mould us and shape us more and more into the image of your Son. We pray, God, that as we walk from these doors, truly, Lord, people that encounter us would encounter your Son, Jesus. That as they hear our voice, receive a touch, Lord, a hug, a kiss, a handshake, they would know that they've met with children of the living God. So, Father, may we be these people. May we allow you to do the work that's needed in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so in with that thought that I, that I just said that to be successful in life, we need to be wise with people. One of the things I'm realizing more and more, and I, and I think this has been a progression ever since those, do you remember, do you remember COVID? Remember that time? I remembered COVID because I had it this week. I, I love the new rules that you don't have to isolate. I really appreciate those. But this is where the love of God kicks in. I wasn't here Sunday or Tuesday when there was others in the office because I don't want to give it to those that are elderly. For those of you that are younger, I really don't care. But for those of you that are older, I care, right? Um, 
So anyway, look, I got to rest at home. I popped in and out of here, but not on the days that people were here. But do you remember that time where we had to isolate, where it was law that you had to isolate? I actually think that somehow in our psyche, it's actually continued. We're in, a, in an era where people isolate and they isolate themselves more and more and more. People stay home. They stay away. They, they do stuff. And I, and I actually think the world's crying for community. The world's crying for family. The, the world's crying for that stuff. And, and in my study for today, you know, I shared it with Mel this morning, the millennials, the Gen Z, there's a, a trend amongst them, and it's called, they call, in the US, they call this bed rotting. Right? Sounds yuck, doesn't it? Think of a fruit or vegetable when you leave it out too long. It looks yuck. And now you've got a whole generation of people that are bed rotting. In other words, because they can, because they've got tablets and phones, they can sit in the bed, they can work from home, they choose to isolate themselves in their bedroom, in their beds, away from everyone. And we wonder why in society today people can't have a difference of opinion without getting into a blue, into a fight. I wonder why. But anyway, I just thought that was really interesting that there's actually something called that their means of self-care is sort of to hide themselves away. Yeah? And more and more people are desocialized and more and more people need family. More and more, because I am biased, people need this place. People need a church family everywhere, but people need this place. People need what we've got, what, we, what God has mandated us with. You know, there's so much conflict around the world today. There's misunderstandings around families and in families, like just a stack of stuff. I mean, it's easy for me to, to make a connection here, but do you ever have a family gathering and there's always that one person, that one person that stirs the pot, says the wrong thing, is in a bad attitude and ruins it for everyone else? No one else has that, those people? We seem to have them in abundance. I don't even know if our family can say that one person at a family gathering. It's probably, you know. But it can affect the whole family. But you and I, as a church, we need to lead the way of being able to be good with people, loving people, to be good to one another, to love one another, to be a family, a true family, yeah? We need to lead the way in that. So how do you and I, how do we love our enemies, you know? How do we love them? Because if you're... Regardless of your age, really, it doesn't matter. If you've been to school, even for six years, or 12 years, or 15 years, whether you've been working your whole life, it really doesn't matter. Whatever age you are, you'll know that along the way, as you do life, you accumulate people that don't like you. Anyone? Come on. Like, there's just not enough yeses here. You guys must be part of Gen Z that isolates in bed if you haven't accumulated people that don't like you yet. Gosh. As a pastor, I accumulate people that don't like me. It should be the other way around. There should be people that like me. Anyway, that's my, that's my sadness. But we've all experienced that, haven't we? We've all experienced that over life. There are just people that, that, that don't like us. But as, as believers, we need to have the right attitude even in that. Yeah, when there are people in our life that don't quite get us, that we seem to have pushed their buttons even inadvertently we have to have the right attitude otherwise we'll end up like the rest of the world treating our enemies like they do and we don't want to do that do we so anyway we're going to jump into first samuel we're going to make this really super quick 
1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 to 8. I, I'm really enjoying some of the learnings for me, the continued learnings from David and Saul and all of, just since we've been here since last year and I continue to find new pockets. But verse 6 reads, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands, what more can he get but the kingdom? This is the, the pinnacle point, the source of, of Saul's jealousy. This is why he's jealous. He's he is actually assuming that David's victories, which are actually good things, he's slain Goliath, he's beaten the Philistine champion, and he, his victory over Goliath was awesome, and yet King Saul assumes that his victories were stealing away from his own success. Yeah? Even though they're on the same side. Even though they're on the same side. Even just the conversation I had with a friend yesterday was sharing something that they had posted online about something that they were a part of. And all these other closet Christians came out to say how woeful it is what, what they had been a part of, which I actually think was brilliant and actually exceptionally godly and Holy Spirit-led. And yet, not only did they come out to say something on social media, they st then started to reach out to that person's family in Victoria, interstate, overseas, saying how wicked it was that they were a part of this and it was a prophetic thing right don't they realize that we're on the same side Did they have no idea at all that we're on the same side and here this is see this is where it stems king saul is jealous of david and his victory that he should be celebrating with david all of a sudden becomes a point of contention yeah it's one of the crazy things that if we've got a bad attitude to someone, even in the church of Jesus, we can end up being on an opposite side when we're on the same side. You know, Saul obviously didn't understand family. Had no idea what it was like to be part of a team. Certainly didn't understand the kingdom of God, did he? He hated it when someone else got the applause. He couldn't bear it. He couldn't stand it, you know. Had to be him. And if it wasn't him... You know, the root of Saul's bitterness led to the rest of his life being totally dominated with a hatred against one man. Just because of that. And if we're to be honest, you and I, and those watching at home, really, sometimes that battle, that battle happens within us. And there can be such unhealthy patterns, even in our own relationships. Particularly, you notice these patterns because it's always everybody else's fault. You know? I often... I often, I drive my car, often have the family in my car. Often there's something that Mel has to pull me up on. Often. And often that's my opportunity to tell her why that person was in the wrong and why my driving was impeccably perfect and there was nothing that she needed to worry about because I had all things in control, it's their fault. And then five minutes later there is actually somebody that is at fault that has done something stupid. Right, like, I don't know about 
if any, anybody else has ever been there because the hardest part is actually owning your own mistake. The hardest part is when you're at fault is actually owning that because the truth is that in life, like David and Saul and a whole bunch of other things that you and I go through, some things in our life we're at fault and sometimes in our life other people are at fault. Yeah, And the wisdom is actually knowing the difference. <laughs> if it's always everybody else's fault, that actually, I think, says more about what's going on on the inside of us than what it does about anybody else. You know? And I think you and I, even as Christians, can get caught up in that mindset. You know, we have to be careful not to think that, that every problem is never about us. It's never us. It's always the rest of the world. Yeah? And this is where Saul is. This is where Saul ended up in a place where it was always someone else's fault. And in this case, David. It's always David's fault. Yeah? But praise God, we've got Jesus, yeah? And through the Holy Spirit, we get to see ourselves. Through his guidance, we get to help ourselves and help others, don't we? We learn how to deal with people and deal with ourselves. Because who's the hardest person to lead? Us. You and I. We can never, ever change the way someone else reacts. You never change their response, but we can control ours we can control our response we can control how we act yes lord we're the hardest person to lead and this is the root of saul's jealousy because he didn't get his eternal life right so there's friction between him and david so i want to jump from there to first samuel 24 yeah and we're going to read verse 1 to 3 to start with anyway when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. So David's hiding in this place called Engedi, yeah? So instead of Saul being blessed over the giant and the giant slayer being a part of his team, yeah, right? Instead of being blessed by that, he's upset about that. Instead of seeing the blessing that it was to have David in his team, in his church, as a leader of his nation, for him, Saul gets jealous and treats David as an enemy. It's not very smart, is it, really? You can say yes to that because it's, I know it's rhetorical, but any sort of interaction is fine. So David has to hide in Engedi, and Saul is actually looking for him. Engedi is this beautiful place. It's a rugged terrain. If you were Bear, Bear Grylls, that's where you would go to, to film something, yeah? But within Engedi itself, there's mountains, there's sea, there's, there's an oasis. It's the perfect place to actually hide because there's four different climates in the one place, yeah? And here David's hiding. And this whole chapter 24 of 1 Samuel is actually, it's a funny story. In fact, it's almost an embarrassing story when it comes to, to Saul. So David ends up and he's hiding in the same large cave. Out of this whole area, yeah, they end up in the same cave. Like, seriously. How stupid can you be and still breathe? How can they end up in the same, in the same cave? How can they? Because verse 2 says, here's David and he's hiding. And verse 2 says, then Saul took 3,000, gosh, that's jealousy, right? 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to search for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Like it sounds like a movie or song or something. Do you know some versions, the NIV says, I think it's the NIV that calls it the crags of the wild goats. Look, I just think it's a cool name, right? 
So the rocks of the wild goats. So he takes 3,000 men. These are his Navy SEALs. These are the best of the best. And he's searching for David. And this is why it becomes a little bit funny and embarrassing because they end up in, in that same large cave. And verse 3 reads, On the way he came to the sheepfolds where there was a cave. Saul went in to relieve himself. <laughs> now David and his men were sitting in the cave's innermost recesses. So I don't know, maybe it's like when you stare at the sun. He comes in from the sunlight and you know to relieve himself to rest and he can't see that further down where it's a little bit darker there's other people hiding in there like he can't see that so david i love it he sneaks up on saul but instead of killing him with his knife he cuts off a hem of his garment a hem of his robe yeah all without saul knowing it verse 4 says david's men said to him behold this is the day of which the lord said to you behold i will Hand over your enemy to you, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose in the darkness and stealthily cut off the hem edge of Saul's robe. Now, he did well to compose himself, I think. And a short time later, it actually reads that when they're at a safe distance, when they're at a safe distance, this is really important to note for you and I as we deal with people in life. When they're at a safe di distance, David holds up the part of the robe that he tore, that he cut off, and he shows that he's actually spared Saul's life. Yeah? So there's something different about the way David's operating. And if you've never read chapter 24, I just encourage you to read it. It's actually a really cool story. Like if you're into novel reading, read that. Like it's really cool. It reads really well. You, you'll, you'll love it. He defends himself. David defends himself, but not in the way that we would imagine. Anyway, verse 14, I'm going to jump to verse 14, and it reads, After whom, it reads, After whom has the king of Israel come out? This is David asking, Whom do you pursue with 3,000 men? A dog? A single flea? What you might not remember is Goliath called David a flea. Yeah? Verse 15, may the Lord be the judge and render judgment between me and you and may he see and plead my cause and vindicate me by saying, saving me from your hand. And here's Saul's reply. And this is why I think it's funny, embarrassing, almost pathetic. When David had finished saying these words to Saul, Saul said, is, that, is, is this your voice, David, my son? Like, you can hear it. Oh, David, is that you? I'll be at home sometimes and I'll hear a noise. Samuel. Melanie, is, is that you? It's not like, is that you, Sam? Mel, is that you? That, Saul's like, David, David, is that your voice, my son? Oh, really? Seriously? Are you for real? Like you're trying to kill the bloke, you know? Is that your, is that your voice, my son? It says in verse 16, when David had finished saying that these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? He's been trying to kill him. Has he forgotten that he, now all of a sudden he wants to be nice? Then Saul raised his voice and he wept. He said to David, You are more righteous and upright in God's eyes than I, for you have done good to me, but I have done evil to you. So he's saying, You treated me well, I've treated you badly. This is actually a good confession. And verse 18 says, If you have declared today the good that you've done to me, for when the Lord put me into your hand, you did not kill me. And I love verse 19. as This is a question that hangs over all of us all of the time in how, how do we... How do you and I, if this is a safe place, how do we deal with our enemies? For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away unharmed? Just ponder that for a moment. You know, will he, will he let him go away 
unharmed. Because in the world today, we don't seem to let any, people in the world don't seem to let any enemy go away unharmed at the moment. So may the Lord reward you with good in return for what you've done for me this day. Now behold, I know that you will certainly be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So Saul admits moral defeat. This war against David, it's not right. It's, it's, not, it's not legitimate in, in any shape or fashion. You know, They're actually on the same side. But this is all about how Saul feels. It's all about his jealousy. It's all about the battle within. And sometimes when we have an enemy, it's all about the battle that's going on within them. And how we respond then highlights if there's a battle going on inside of us, yes? You know, maybe there's someone that you know, that I know, that we're battling with, a situation that we're battling with. I'm just putting it out there. Saul seems, he's got no appreciation in his life. He's got a total lack of it. And I actually think that we can often suffer from that ourselves. Even on Friday, I was chatting to Ray, we're in the foyer, and Ray was, we were just talking about life and different people, not in a bad way, just the way people are speaking in life these days in the world around us. And Ray said something really quite simple yet profound. We have to look for the good. We've got to seek out the love. Yeah, just simple. We've got to look for the good. We've got to seek out the love. We've got to find the love. Because this lack of appreciation in life can be so overwhelming that for Saul and for us, he loses the ability to even credit someone where credit's due. Yeah? Often you'll say to someone, gosh, you know, so-and-so did so well. Yeah, but I've done that too. So-and-so, oh, they were brilliant when, you did, when they did that. It wasn't that good. I remember so-and-so did. You know, like they won't give credit where credit's due. You ever spoken to anyone like that? Anyone like that in your family? So you, for you and I, if we're going to be a safe place, one, let's keep encouraging each other. We need to keep encouraging each other, but let's find our security and our identity in Jesus. Amen? Yeah? So Saul finds himself constantly attacked in his own soul when someone else gets praise. And that's the thing about some enemies. It's not reasonable. It's not fair. It's not rational. You know, with some enemies, you just, they just can't seem to help themselves. They can't let go of the bone. Ever spoken to anyone like that? You know, they just can't. Seems to be an inability. You know, they hold to their version of the truth, their version of the story, even after years, and they'll distort it. In fact, they'll rewrite all of history and facts have got nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's always the other guy, and it was always the other guy when it came to Saul. It was always David's fault, Yeah. You point out something in their life that's out of whack, you try to help them and they'll turn around and say that you said it all wrong. You've offended them, you know. So you realise after a while you can't even try, you can't rationalise with that. But Saul's not the only one that suffers from jealousy. There's a, 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 a book that's written by Dr. R.T. Kendall called Jealousy, right? And in his book, he makes this point. He states this. That jealousy is something that 100% of people suffer from from time to time. So for you and I as Christians, we can struggle with jealousy. So let's always be attentive. Let's always be aware of what's going on around us when we're dealing with people. Because if we have, we're going to be successful in life, 
We need to be able to be wise in dealing with all kinds of different people. Amen? Now, even though Saul says, I'm wrong, you know, David, surely you're going to be king, I repent, you know, the battle continues in his, old, in, his, in his own soul. This root of bitterness is so deep that it's taking control. Even humiliation and embarrassment in moments like we read with David holding up yeah, his, his garment and another one that we're about to read, even that, even Saul seeing himself for what he was was not enough to change him. Because 1 Samuel 26 verse 2, so we're jumping now to tw- chapter 26, So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. There he goes again. Back at it. 3,000 people. He's got 3,000 people that he's leading that are carrying his bitterness. Gosh, we've got to be careful as Christians for those that are in our spheres that we don't take our hurt and our jealousy and our, our pain and put it onto someone else who then follows us in that journey, yeah? Particularly if we're going to be a safe place. And there he is in his spirit again, this persistent sin, he's there again, this weed's grown back. And it's so strong that he's searching for David again. But I love it because there's a change in the dynamic this time with David in how he responds. Because verse 5 says, "Then, Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. This time, David wasn't there and Saul had come to him in the cave. This time, David actually went after the enemy. He went, he stepped towards the enemy. I love this change in dynamic. And he's only ever done, well, he's done it before. But when he did it before, he did it with Goliath and he went to attack Goliath. He went to defeat the giant. But this time, he, though he's doing the same thing, he's going towards the enemy, there's a completely different intention for Saul. David's not going to treat Saul the same way he treated Goliath. See, the first thing that you and I need to grab hold of here, and this is really practical, especially especially in dealing with our enemies, David refused to spend the rest of his life hiding. He wasn't going to be a Gen C bed rotting. Yeah? He refused to spend the rest of his life hiding, even though there were things at play in his life. You know, let's... It's true to say that an enemy can hurt us greatly. Amen? Yeah, we've all been hurt. And there are times when David does hide because there are times that you and I, we need safe boundaries. Amen? Yeah, safe boundaries are good. And some days we need those safe boundaries. Some days we need to keep our head down. If we've mucked up, we should keep our head down. But if someone else is attacking us unjustly, sometimes we need that safe boundary. We need to keep our heads down. There are times that we do that, we keep away from some people just for our own health. You know, let me say this, don't entrust yourself in a close companionship. Don't trust yourself in a close relationship to a dangerous person. You know, in other words, don't let someone be a close friend to you if they're a dangerous person. See, some, some enemy actions are so severe, but, but like David, you may forgive And you may not retaliate, just as David didn't in chapter 24, but you're probably not going to end up best buddies. Yeah? It might happen through forgiveness. It might happen through repentance and restoration. Let's face it, marriages can be restored. 
Relationships can be restored. These things, can, families can be restored. All these things can be restored and forgiveness is needed all the time. But old patterns, they, they've got to be defeated and or backed away from, yeah? Because safe boundaries are good. But just because you've forgiven someone, I'd need to say this, just because you've forgiven someone doesn't mean that you've given them 100% 24-hour access to all of your life, Yeah? Guard your heart. There are seasons for keeping our head down, but we can't live there all the time. Yeah? David chose not to live there in hiding. I love that about David. He was wise about who he related to. You know, and he had to get back on mission because it was a call of God on his life. And verse 5 of chapter 26 says, And David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp and the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother. Gosh, just there. I've just, I know I get, as a pastor, the church pays us. I just earned my money there. Just that line, those words. Wow. Anyway, Joab's um, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? So David's asking the question. And Abishai responds, I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. There was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear. Now the focus turns to the spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. And listen to what Abishai says. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. This is another perfect example why good action violent movies are awesome. Like it's biblical. Like, let me do it, Dave. Let me do it. I'm going to do it so well. When I pierce this bloke, I'm going to do it in one shot. It won't need... Won't, won't be like that. You know when you cut a piece of chicken, you're like slicing, you get stuck, you go again. No, no, no. This is, I've got the, he's hit the ground straight through. I'd love to see that in a movie. That would be awesome. If you don't like, if you don't like the Bible, just rip out the page. It's okay. I can only share what's in the Word. The first thing is that David, David refuses to spend the rest of his life life hiding but the second thing see david hears the voice of revenge against his enemy and the voice of revenge in our lives it can be really loud it can be really strong it can be very persuasive yeah and if the opportunity is there for you to respond like that doesn't necessarily mean that the lord wants you to strike your enemy yeah oh god but God has set this up for me. He's made this possible for me. Oh, really? Really? Abishai says to David, it's time for you to King Saul and we can finally put this madness to rest. Let's deal with this hypocritical, crazy, deceitful king once and for all. Let's just, let's just do it once. Like a spear fisherman. Bah! Done. Sometimes in our lives, there's someone that winds us up. Sometimes in our lives, there are people that won't do the dirty work, but they want you 
to be the one that does. Sometimes in, the, in our lives, there will be people that will egg us on that want us to retaliate, yeah, and to lash out. It's okay for you to be unchristian because they were unchristian to you. In the previous chapter, chapter 25, David nearly went to war against a man whose name was Nabal or Nabal. And it was a really small offense, you know. But how many wars have been started because of a little impatience or a small offense or a little jealousy or a little rumor? How many? You know, a little spark that sets a fire raging. And yet David is not going to be that kind of king. Refuses to. Because God's been working on him since chapter 24. And God was working on him in chapter 25. And he has three, three opportunities in a row. Three chapters in a row. David has the opportunity to retaliate against Saul. But do you remember the question that we looked at earlier? When a man finds his enemy, does he... Let him get away unharmed. Let's see what happens. Verse 9 of chapter 26. David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, The Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. In other words, I don't know how he's going to do it, but God's got it in hand. I called and you answered. I brought my stuff to you and I gave it to you. You've got it in hand and he answered. The time between Abraham being told that he was going to be a father of nations and actually being a, a father to Sarah was years. Yeah, years. So sometimes when we call on the Lord, why are we becoming impatient? He will answer because he does answer because he's faithful and true. Amen. The Bible is full of these stories where God's got it in hand. Doesn't it say in the Old Testament, revenge shall be mine, says the Lord. And yet it's repeated multiple times in the new. God's got it. It's not for us to pick it up. God's got your enemies and my enemies in hand. Verse 11, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug near his head and let's go. I'm sure Abishai was asking himself, David, you're an idiot. You've got a really good chance here. What are you doing? You know? Verse 12, so David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. I wish God would do that when I'm snoring at home for those in the family. Anyway... Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. Again, some distance away. In case you missed it, some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He's not entrusting himself to the enemy. Yeah, He's still keeping a boundary. He's still keeping a safe distance, and yet he's still honoring. Yeah? Verse 14, he called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? David won't even insult Saul. We can learn something from this, right? He won't even insult him in front of his men. He doesn't want to be that person that insults the Lord's anointed. Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? David said, you're a man, aren't you? 
And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the King? Someone came to destroy the Lord the King. What, ha- what you have done is not good. So he embarrasses him. There's no problem embarrassing him right, in front of all the men. Right? What, it, what you have done is not good. As surely the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? I love that. Like, I won't, I won't insult and embarrass the king, but you, you, you you're, yeah, you're easy pickings, right? But here we go again. This is why it's funny and embarrassing and pathetic. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David, is that you? Like, seriously, really? You're trying to kill him again. Is that you? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Finally, now, after three chapters, the enemies are finally talking. Finally talking. And in verse 18, David asks, Why are you doing this? And we're going to jump to verse 20. Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Now, this is the last conversation that Saul and David have. And Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here's the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men, again, boundary, yeah, respectful, boundary. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteous and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And these are the last words of David to Saul. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed. David, my son, you will do great things and surely triumph. So they, David went on his way and Saul returned home. They go their separate ways. I just want to repeat, you can't work with some enemies. You just can't. You and I can't. There are some people that we just can't work with. Saul tried to destroy his life, and there will be Saul's in our life that will try to destroy ours, that will try to destroy our mission. And so we keep those people at a distance. But catch this truth. David had the spear here, but his enemy was here. He did not take battle to his enemy he did not take the the revenge to his enemy even in this when he's being respectful he's still treating Saul as the Lord's anointed the spear is with David and he's having a conversation with Saul he did not bring the seer the spear to Saul and I think sometimes in life particularly as Christians in a church sometimes we've got to lay down that stupid spear lay it down if David can love an enemy like that Surely, 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 for the things that we come up against, we can too. You know, Jesus forgave his enemies on the cross. Absolutely, amen. Did he become best buddies with Pilate, with Herod, with Sophias? That's how you pronounce the high priest's name. No, no, he did not. Saul of Tarsus, on the other hand, repented. And then Jesus shines his light on the Damascus road and Saul who hated Jesus, Saul who hated the church, after he repented, he's now Paul, he's a friend because there's nothing more beautiful than when an enemy of the Lord becomes his friend. 
turns and starts following him. But David had to separate himself from Saul. But he does not allow his spirit to be poisoned. Gosh, Lord, today. He does not allow ugliness to spill from his mouth. Lord, today. He wasn't always talking about Saul with his men. Yeah? He brought it before the Lord in his prayers and in his psalms. Over and over, let not... Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You know, the, the thing about David, the last thing is David's response. He, he's got that response from Abishai. Why don't you take revenge? Why don't you kill him? But David's response, it, it's a forerunner for Jesus. It's showing us what you and I as Christians, as believers, with the Holy Spirit in us, he's showing us what we need to be like. And that has to be one of the most difficult things for you and I to hear, especially if we've been hurt or offended. So if we're going to be a safe place for all people, can I ask you to stand as I close, please? If we're going to be a safe place for all people, how are we going to respond when one of our enemies finds a safe place here? Can I ask you just to close your eyes for a moment and ponder those words? How are you and I going to respond when one of our enemies finds a safe place here? How will we treat them? Because safe boundaries are good, but Saul was, uh, David was still able to speak respectfully and appreciate the anointing on Saul. So when it's within our own house and there's people who believe in Jesus, who love Jesus, who the Holy Spirit lives in. But there's some tension between us. If we're going to be a safe place for all people, how will we act and react when they make this place their home? <laughs> oh, the conundrums of life. See, you and I are not made to carry that sort of bitterness or unforgiveness or shame. And so that question remains when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Ross, can you come up and the worship team, please? See, King Saul is the natural way to behave, to get back, to have revenge, to ignore, to be as, as, as vicious as they are with our enemies. It's normal to respond like that, but the spiritual way is so different, and David shows us that way. And he points us to the future King Jesus. Jesus that will do an even better job of loving his enemies. And I'm going to ask the team to play. Maybe just you called and I answered, yeah. Because I'm just going to put it out there. If we're going to be a safe place for all people, we're going to be a safe haven where people can come and be restored and revealed for his glory, there may be moments in time where we let, need to let go of some of our stuff people hurts that we carry, pain that we carry. Boundaries are okay, but we can't live hiding. How are we going to treat those people? And so this morning, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask every person just at the moment just to close your eyes. And if there's someone in your life that you know you need to forgive, someone that you've struggled with, an issue that you've been wrestling with, then let's bring it to the altar. Not to shame you, I'm going to be standing here. 
not to embarrass you, I'll have my eyes closed and probably on my knees. But maybe we just need to give stuff to the Lord and let him answer. Maybe we need to be like David and say, I will not place a hand or speak a word against the Lord's anointed, his children. Maybe what we need to do is just give it to you and God will do what he needs to do. If we're going to be a safe place for all people in this house, then we can't carry that stuff. And so this morning, whether you're at home or whether you're here, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and worship him. And in your own heart, in his presence, give that thing over to him. Give that person over to him. And let's make sure that we, each and every one of us in this house, our hearts are pure towards one another and towards those that may have taken offence. That we might be that safe place for all people, including our enemies. Amen. Amen.